0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the In My Own Words NFL Podcast. It is July 4th, 2020. Happy 4th of July Independence Day to everyone out there. Hope you guys got to celebrate with your family and friends. Enjoy some fireworks, barbecue, and all the stuff that makes this nation such a great place to live in. This is the first episode of Season 2 of the podcast. About a month off as we're getting closer to the NFL season with training camp OTAs. And preseason just right around the corner, decided to relaunch the episode. But we got a very special uh, topic today. I'm going to be talking a lot about what's been going on in the world, and in particular, the Black Lives Matter movement. And of course, how, since it's an NFL podcast, how the topics are relating to the NFL. Just a disclaimer that this podcast is going to contain some opinions on some topics that have arisen from George Floyd's death the protesting, and the Black Lives Matter movement that's been going on around the world. I want to start off by saying I'm 100% in support of the movement. I'm 100% behind any type of race, any type of uh, gender, groups of people in this society. But obviously, in every situation, we have difference of opinions on some certain topics. And that's what I like in discussing some of this stuff with my friends. We have very level-headed intellectual conversations where we can agree on some things, disagree on some things, respect each other's opinion, um, and just stay united. And I think that's what the situation is all about. And starting off with a quote I found on Facebook I thought was very powerful. Uh, this is America. We have racists, but 99% of the people you meet are colorblind and do not have a racial bone in their body. We have some bad cops, but 99% of law enforcement will risk their lives to save even strangers that they have never met before. If you choose to see evil, then evil is all you will see. As for me, I choose to see the good in people. My heart is full, and I have nothing but love for all of you. In 2017, one of my favorite actors, Morgan Freeman, stated, quote, I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is an American history. We can get rid of racism by simply stop the talk about it. I'm going to stop calling you, the interviewer, a white man, and you're going to stop calling me a black man. Based on the interview, I think Freeman was representing kind of my view of society, that no matter what race, gender, whoever you are, wherever you come from, anyone with the right drive, determination, and networks in this life can make something of themselves in today's society. It's a simple fact, though, that based on living situations, areas, um, just the more destructive um, and disadvantaged lifestyles that African American communities seem to come from, they definitely encounter more obstacles in life. White people, without a doubt, have a have a distinct advantage in this game called life. But the best way to beat racism is to stop making everything about someone's race. I remember this one Facebook video I watched multiple times. It's been in my feed a lot. Um, it's one of the most powerful messages that I've seen. You know, as a coach or um, community member whatever and lining up a group of guys and uh, women for a race and saying that whoever wins the race gets $100 but we're gonna give some people a head start and they started calling out things like take a step forward if you never had to worry about where your next meal was coming from take a step forward if you don't help mom and dad with the bills take a step forward if you ever experience any racial inequality in your life et etc cetera, etc cetera. and obviously most of the white men and women in that line were way ahead of the African-American men and women in that line. Um, I think it just was a very powerful message in showing that, yeah, it is a fact that white people do have a distinct advantage in today's society. Police brutality, racial inequality, it's a real issue. Changes 100% have to be made. But coming from a police family as well, I mean, my dad's been in law enforcement for over 30 years. My brother's been in law enforcement for about a year and a half now. And they both have been on the lines um, mandating these protests and stuff, which for the most part have stayed peaceful. But both of them have um, really had a wake-up call at just how angry people are, just how much hate um, people have for police officers. And it's very unfortunate because absolutely there's racism within police departments. We have to find ways to flood that out. We have to find ways for officers to have better training to get better police reforms. Um, But we have to acknowledge that there are good men and women in law enforcement that are risking their lives every day uh, to protect their communities, strangers that they've never met before. And as much as an African-American man deserves to be and women deserve to be treated respectfully and equally by law enforcement, we can't have protesters screaming in their faces, throwing bricks, shooting them, calling them pigs and that they should burn and things of that nature. We need to find a way to heal a divide. And some of these topics in this podcast today are going to go through some of that stuff. Starting with the first one, in regards to the National Football League, they announced that a black national anthem is going to be played. So the song Lift Every Voice and Sing by Melba Moore, which is a beautiful lyric, I've heard it many times in the past, and I listened to it again once I heard the announcement. It's going to be played before the Star Spangled Banner prior to every week one game, just week one as of now. It remains to be seen if they will keep it up for the um, entire season. Like I said, it's, it's a beautiful lyric. It's a song that revives the past, but also as the lyrics reveal, recognizes a hopeful future for African Americans, um, that a hopeful future and a better future uh, can come for them. It's a song that has three very powerful stanzas, three very powerful verses. The first one opens with a commanda. Um, for praise and freedom and hope for the future. The second verse reminds us to never forget the sufferings and obstacles encountered in the past. The third and final stanza is about the challenges that still lie ahead presently in the future. But the most important part about this stanza, I think, is that, that these challenges are to be met with perseverance, courage, faith, and something that I think has been lost in all this, trust in God. Now, my idea here is that, you know, the morals, values, ethics, and overall words of the Star-Spangled Banner, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, equality for all, it isn't being applied to everyone, and in particular, the black community in today's United States. There's just so much anger, so much racial divide during this harsh time period that therefore it's being played in a sport that is predominantly dominated by black people to support the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, it's also surprising. I mean, this is, it was an interesting but dangerous move by the NFL. I mean, it really is a political game. I think they're playing. They were not on board with Colin Kaepernick's stance in 2016. And now, much like other sports, they're trying to find ways to kind of make amends um, and get on board and try to educate themselves and things of that nature. And they think that playing this song is a good way to do it. Um, the original national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner, is a theme that is supposed to unite all Americans, every person in the United States. So I just feel like that stating that there's a black national anthem makes it seem like there's a white national anthem. And it shouldn't be like that. There shouldn't be something like that politically, wordplay wise, whatever, that just deepens the divide. You know, just calling it the black national anthem, making it seem like white people have their own national anthem. I feel like it's just a political game that just deepens the divide. And in and, and doing my research on it, a heavy part of the fan base, including a, a lot of African American fans, feel like it's just unneeded. It was unwarranted. Um, threats to the NFL about boycotting the season, not watching it. I mean, it's very gonna it's gonna be very interesting to see um, how this plays out, what the ratings are gonna be like. Certainly, the NFL can't change their mind. And personally, for me, I don't have a problem with it at all I think if they want to play the song for the first week of the season I don't have a problem with it at all I think it's a great song I don't know if it's necessarily should be put on a platform where it's described as an anthem but it means a wonderful song to be played in church a wonderful song to be played in celebratory practices I just don't know if it should have been given an anthem stage um, spotlight so to speak so like I said I think it's a great song with verses that celebrate liberation celebrating a hopeful future which the black lives matter supporters are hoping for i think it's a great gesture and an okay idea it just seems to have gone too political and should not have been put in a spot to be performed prior to the star spangled banner for media attention especially when it seems that players will probably stand for this song i'm guessing and obviously the expectation is for people to kneel a lot for the national anthem and that gets into um you know, disrespecting the flag, disrespecting the country. They're going to be standing for the black national anthem but kneeling for the national anthem that is supposed to be um, a united celebration for all. So it was an interesting move by the NFL. I, Like I said, I for one don't have a problem with it. I think it's a great celebratory piece. I just think a lot of people are taking it very pol- politically. And since this is the United States of America, a great nation, and it's kind of overshadowing a star-spangled banner, a song that is supposed to be a union for all people, even though um, people in today's society just don't feel that those rights and being of that song is being applied to all. I just think it's an interesting situation for the NFL, and we're, we'll just keep our eyes on it and see how it plays out amongst the fan base. Going into segment two, Drew Brees and his opposed view to kneeling. Now, Drew Brees was quoted saying, I will never agree with anyone disrespecting the flag of the United States, end quote. Now, his response from this drew a lot of backlash. People calling him a racist, telling him to retire. Uh, Sports stars such as LeBron James posting on social media, basically telling Brees, I mean, you're kind of clueless if you still think this is about disrespecting the flag. And basically to educate yourself, it's about the racial inequality, the police brutality, the equality for all, and the support of Black Lives Matter, so to speak. And like the very next day, Drew Brees issued an apology personally and a message that seemed to come from, like, his PR representative. Now, Drew Brees is a man who's done phenomenal things for the city of New Orleans as a football player, but also as a person. He's been, um, as far as I know, advocating. He is an advocate for the Black Lives Matter movement. He's been in support of the movement and teammates that are heavily supportive of it, such as Michael Thomas. And he's been generously charitable throughout his entire career for the Saints, Yet his head is basically called for over one disagreement um, about the matter. And this is what I was talking about in the beginning of the podcast. Like when I have conversations with my friends and stuff, we have agreements, we have disagreements, but we can respect that level. And it just seems that Drew Brees, an honorable man, you know, said something maybe a little insensitive in a harsh period of time, but it is the man's opinion. I'm not sure if he necessarily had to or should have been forced to apologize for his opinion. Like I said, other than that one minor disagreement, he seemed to be in complete support of the movement of the peaceful protesting and equality for all. He just had one opinion that differentiated from the overall concept. And like I said, people turned on him bad. I mean, I don't think Breeze is a racist. I don't think he should be, reti- you know, he calls for him to retire. I think we're a little ridiculous. It just really sent people in a frenzy. Um, I think his apology came across pretty genuine. I don't believe that the very next day he's like, oh, you know, I'm educated now, and I think he's going to take the steps to, you know, be more sensitive about what he says, as he should be, and as we all should be in a time like this. But I don't feel like anyone should apologize uh, for having their own opinion on some certain topics. So um, at least he acknowledged his mistake. I think he's going to be okay. Um, certainly, I have mixed emotions about kneeling for the national anthem. In a way, I can kind of understand how it's disrespecting the flag and the men and women who fought for it and our nation in general. But I also see the side that, you know, it's not necessarily about disrespecting the flag. It's about, like Kaepernick was trying to do, send a message, you know, trying to make this nation more equal for all, especially the African-American communities who have suffered under police brutality. Getting into segment three, quarantine, the coronavirus, I mean, is that a big reason why that these protesting and has launched into such an extreme state? And the question I'm throwing out there is that would there have been as many states and people protesting, I mean, all 50 states seem to do it nationally and also internationally, Had it, would it have been that big of a deal if not for the quarantine, if not because of the coronavirus being quarantined for so long? You know i do believe that protests still would have occurred i'm not sure if it would have been at such an extreme rate and having all the riots and looters um you know with tons thousands and thousands of people being unemployed in their homes nothing else to do i mean was that a reason for the increase in protesting and and riots like for example I know personally some people who aren't well educated on the topic. You know, they went out there to I'm a, I'm from Pennsylvania, you know, riding took place and protesting took place in a major city like Philadelphia. I know a handful of people, friends and acquaintances who went down there, you know, just to kind of like be a part of something, like the, to see the chaos, the fires, the you know, some protesting getting out of control you know, just to, you know, have their Snapchat up and be like, yo, look, I'm here, I'm doing this, I'm in support, or like, yo, you know, look, this car's on fire, look, this is crazy down here, you know, it just, it came across as if they were down there just for the attention, you know, just to get the clout, and it didn't seem like they were really understanding why you should have been there, or why you were there in the first place, like the real meaning of protesting, Um, it seemed like they were just going down there for the social media clout, so to speak, so, and like I said, it being quarantined for so long, it's like an excuse to get out of the house. People just wanting to be a part of something. Maybe some people too scared to share their opinions and they wanted to be just completely on the side of the protesting, just to show that they were a part of it. Um, so like I said, I think the protest definitely would have still have occurred. I think it would not have just been a simple social media thing. I think there would have been tons of protest, but I think we would have seen less people but more real people out there that really know what they're doing, who really are passionate about the cause. I think if people were working, if we weren't quarantined for so long, it would have definitely limited the amount of people, the amount of uh, protests that we would have seen and possibly the amount of violence that we've seen or saw uh, come from all of it. And that kind of goes into segment four, the media's driving force. Now media, I'm not all about fake news and I'm not really high on that kind of stuff, but it did seem like the media was portraying a lot of violence from both the rioters protesters and the police really exemplifying stories of just division between the two forces and i get it it's entertaining you know to watch a car go up in flames it's entertaining uh, to people you know to see the chaos of rubber bullets and tear gas being thrown out and things being tossed at police officers you know whether it makes good tv or it's just you know trying to drive home the division i don't know exactly what they're trying to do but there were many cases that police officers kneeled with protesters, hands and fists in the air. They were handing out water and food to protesters. Some were marching and leading marches with protesters and there were there was African American men and women embracing police officers crying their eyes out in their arms. like I said, officers raising their fists in solidarity with the protesters. So I think it's just I think it's a shame that while it's essential to report, The chaos. And by the way, with the coronavirus pandemic, I felt as though, especially in the beginning, like the whole coverage of the virus and that there is a virus out there kind of dissipated. Like the coronavirus wasn't getting much coverage. And it was like, there's these large crowds of people out there and whatnot, but like they weren't acknowledging at least as much like of the spread of the virus from all these protesting. So I think it's essential to report the chaos. Obviously, I mean, the scenes in Minneapolis and... Philadelphia and Seattle and L.A. were just absolutely devastating to see what the police officers were doing to even peaceful protesters and the rioters and seeing cars up in flames and smokes and graffiti all over uh, the cars and, you know, protesters and rioters bashing out windows and, you know, cops pushing elderly men out of the way and protesters You know, shooting cops in the back of the head and, you know, it was just a very devastating thing and very disheartening to see the media pushing so much the negative aspect of stuff. But there was so much that they could have reported um, that was good from the officers and from the protesters. So it's it's essential to report the chaos 100%, but more attention should have also been brought to the unity of the situation because there was also a lot of good going out around all the states during this time. And getting into segment five, defunding the police and just corrupt officers in general. It's no secret that the police departments are heavily funded. And in some cases, perhaps overly funded in big cities, especially like such as New York. I think obviously with a city like that, where there's crime rate is high and it's, you know, the city that never sleeps. I think police officers need the funding. You know, they need the materials. They need the training to handle a big population in a big city like that. However, I also don't think that the police should be completely abolished. I think that's absolutely foolish. A public-led safety criminal justice system is just absolutely foolish. I mean, these people that are calling for that, I don't think necessarily understand what they're calling for because when they're in trouble, the first group they're going to call and rely on for help is the police. But I did take a lot of time, a lot of thought, a lot of research and conversations with a bunch of uh, different people. That I, And it is an interesting idea, and I'm actually for distributing money a little bit more evenly to educational facilities, hospitals, mental institutions, from the police budget, You know, distributing the wealth a little bit more. I think it's an interesting idea. I think it can definitely work and help close that advantage gap between the African American community and the white community. Um, So while we should not abolish police departments and while we shouldn't completely defund them, um, I think it's definitely a, a good idea to distribute the wealth and distribute the funding a little bit more evenly to facilities that can help um, educate and take care of the health of the African-American communities even better. And that goes into segment six of removing of the statues. I agree that abolishing signs of like the Confederate symbols, the Confederate flag is a good thing. I think they're they're racist symbols. I, I agree and support college teams that have gotten rid of the flags and symbols and you know states have also done it. the ncaa further extended a policy that championship games cannot be played in states where there is a prominent confederate presence i think that was a phenomenal decision um but i don't i think that removing the statues should not be the public self-decision you know they shouldn't be taking it upon themselves to go out and physically damage and remove these statues illegally i think that they should be legally taken down you know Petitioned, uh, brought forth towards their congressional leaders and things of that nature. Um, and I'm not an African American man, you know. I don't know. I can't relate to the discrimination, the hate, and the anger necessarily that um, the community feels. But you know, statues such as like the Abraham Lincoln slave statue, I just feel like they're prominent and not so much racist, but it's American history. You know, it's a, the way things were. And in a way, I think it also shows how how much better we've gotten, how things have evolved, you know, over time. And I just feel like, and I don't know if this is the right assumption, but if I was an African-American man looking at a statue like Lincoln with a slave, I would feel more pride um, from a symbol like that. You know, Lincoln freeing the slaves, knowing that um, my family history, my ancestors, and the future just got a lot brighter for us. Opportunities are opening up and we're no longer enslaved like that. So I feel like statues like that, is a great symbol of our american history um they shouldn't just be completely erased or forgotten and they should be left alone but i can also see the side that you know um it's a it's a part of the history that they might want to try to forget even though it can't be forgotten you know what happened um so i think there are some particular signs symbols some particular statues that we could do it without but i think there's definitely a handful that absolutely should be Uh, untouched and remained and showed pride and symbolism rather than racism. And getting into segment seven, talking about the rioters and looters, I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think the peaceful protesting was phenomenal. We had some up here in Pennsylvania and cities such as Pottstown and Reading that went very, very well. Uh, Obviously, major cities got a little bit out of hand. I think rioters and looters completely took advantage of the situation, destroying businesses, stealing merchandise, I don't think had anything to do with, with the Black Lives Matter movement, or memory of George Floyd or the other men and women who have fallen due to police brutality, they weren't stealing essentials like food and water and stuff. They were wat- walking out with their hands filled with you know, Nike shoes and things of that nature. And, you know, they hurt business owners. We're in the middle of a pandemic, with these business owners. Some of them had to close their stores and they lost their businesses, and some, by the grace of God, were able to reopen. And now they're being completely trashed, destroyed, looted, torched, and in a lot of cases, you know, they were these were also black business owners, um, and they were torching and looting and breaking down kind of like their own people's businesses, which which made no sense for me, and I just feel like that a business that you know barely survived a global pandemic, then had to go through something like that was just absolutely disturbing to watch. The only justification, like I say, I, I try to see both sides of every story. The only justification i think i could come down to for that is that you know this has been a long ongoing problem you know um, and for the most part throughout history the black lives matter movement and supporters have been peaceful peaceful protest hashtag spreading social media usage i mean not that it necessarily was illegal or right way to do it but violence you know it got the it got our attention you know it really woke up america um to just how you know pissed off and just done and angry people are on how they feel about the police brutality and lack of equality so even though i don't think it was right even though i think it was a disgusting and illegal way to kind of get the message across you know i think it in a way you know it, it helped a little bit grab the attention and you know really make um police departments sports industries and just people in general see like, you know, enough is enough. And coming down to segment eight and just the conclusion of the podcast now, talk about the George Floyd situation corrupt and corrupt police and just the conclusion, like I said. Uh, George Floyd was absolutely murdered, killed in a brutal and sickening way. There's no way you can argue that. It is admirable to see that the spark that his death had nationally and internationally, all the changes, um, like his daughter said, on the shoulders um, I'm a family member, I believe that Daddy changed the world and police reform and change has hit all over the world nationally and internationally. It's been uplifting to see sports such as the English Premier League, you know soccer had black lives matter on the back of their uniforms for the first few weeks of the season and while others you know were like oh seriously you know they're doing that you know I think it's a good it was a good act by them. donations from Wealthy sports owners and business owners towards the movement, um, you know, kneeling and giving a moment of silence um, prior to some sport games that have come back already. Uh, the inclusion of the Black National Anthem, and it, I just feel like a lot of a lot more awareness and unity has definitely been brought to the situation. But also, things have also, like I said, gotten out of hand. You know, like the shooting in Atlanta. You know, uh, a situation where resisting arrest was present and he had presence present and he had a taser seemed like he was going to shoot it back and officers are in that situation we got to make a split second call again i don't think gunning that man down was right i think it was definitely excessive force police brutality um definitely a wrong decision but why torch wendy's why take it out on the business just because the incident occurred in the parking lot i, I didn't understand something like that at all but overall the police need to do better they need better reforms better training we need to sweep out the racism and ignorance among the police departments worldwide police brutality racial profiling inequality is a problem it's going to be an ongoing problem it's going to be a fight it's going to be scary to see you know when this eventually happens again because it most likely will a justified or unjustified killing of an african-american man or woman By a police officer, we'll see what kind of outrage it sparks. But it's a problem that needs to be fixed, and it's not going to go away anytime soon. But um, as devastating of a time period that this has been, it's also been a great educational and awakening period. But we also have to respect the good men and women in law enforcement, and we can't be mugging them, shooting them, throwing bricks at them, um, shouting that they're pigs that should be burnt alive and things like that. We it's, it's going to be very difficult, and it's tough. For people to look at it now Um, but we have to find a healing unity between the public and especially the african-american community and police departments i think that starts from the top up you know um overall you know i've supported some things that president trump has done during his um time as president i think he's done a handful of good things but he's also obviously done a handful of disparageable things um in terms of um, not really taking a unified tone of voice and a unified um, message towards the American people. You know, sometimes he says things and um, gives opinions and um, uses his words and rhetoric in more of a negative and dividing light and in a time where our country needs a unifying leader. I think it would be wise for him to take a step back and really, just try to do a better job in uniting every group, uh, every group of people in the United States. Like I said, I'm a I'm a friend of a bunch of different groups of minorities, Hispanics, African Americans. Um, they're some of the um, nicest people uh, I've ever met. I've come across in my life. They've really educated me. Have taught me a lot from their experiences, from what I've seen. Um, so, but I also, like I said, I also have a great police family who has worked very hard and dedicated their lives to protecting and serving, so um, it's great to have a level head about these kind of things. Again, this episode was not meant to offend anybody. I'm hoping that a lot of you guys actually agree with me, um, or can at least respect, uh, respectfully have listened to the podcast. I appreciate that as well. Uh, we're going to get back to talking about some NFL topics in episode two of season two, just that felt like I had to get my opinion out there, do a little special show uh, for the Black Lives Matter movement since a lot of it also related to the NFL. But thank you guys for listening. Um, hope you have a hope you had a happy Fourth of July, and hoping for better days in the United States. Thank you and goodbye.